What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. As we continue this series that we started last week called Miracle Worker. And so if you weren't with us, don't worry. I'll give you a very quick recap of kind of what this series is about. Um, so last week, we kind of set the stage looking at John chapter 2 and the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And we landed that night with this phrase that we're going to remember throughout this series that miracles live in too late moments. Right? They live in these moments where it seems like hope is gone. They live in these moments where it seems like the mess has been made and there's really nothing we can do about it. Because if you think about so many miracles in the Bible, right, they happen when it seems like it's too late, right? They happen when the wine has already run out. They happen when the man was already blind. They happen when Jesus was already in the grave for three days. But in those moments, Jesus steps up and he does something miraculous. God does something miraculous. And so what we're gonna be doing in this series is we're gonna be talking about doing life in these too late moments. Because if we find ourselves in these situations that seem hopeless, that's exactly where we want to be if we wanna see a miracle. And so each week as we walk through this series, Miracle Worker, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on really understanding what to do, what to expect, and how to live in these moments that seem like it's too late. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do. Tonight, really the focus is is what do we do as we wait for a miracle? Because remember last week, the challenge for us was that we asked that God do a miracle in our life. We asked that God step up and do the miraculous. And so if you've done that and now you're waiting, what do you do? And tonight we're gonna answer that question and Mark chapter four is gonna help us do that. So if you have your Bibles, once again, open them up, turn them on. We'll be there. Also, we'll have the verses on the screen if you guys wanna follow along with us there. So one morning... Back in the fall, I was leaving to go to work. And as me and my wife were getting our two boys in the car to get out of there, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something in our garage crawl across the floor and go behind some boxes. And so I say something to my wife about it, and she's like, oh, don't worry about when you get going, we need to leave. And I'm like, yeah, that's easy for you to say because you didn't just see what I saw crawl into our garage. But she was right. We had to get going. So, so we, we, we left, closed the garage, and I went to work. But the entire day, I'm just a little nervous about what I saw that morning. And I'm even more nervous about what I'm going to have to do about it when I get home. Because as much as I don't want to, I know that thing is trapped in the garage. So when I get home, it's going to be my job to find out what it is and then to get it out. So the afternoon when I get back to the house, you know, I put the car outside because I want a little bit of space to work. And to protect myself, I put on gardening gloves and I get a broom. Because clearly I've done this before. <laughs> and, and so I stepped into the octagon with this thing. And my wife, because she's so supportive, she stood safely inside the house and just watched this through the door of our garage. And... You know, obviously, I'm a little bit, you know, on edge about this. You know, I don't really want to do it, but I know that I need to. And so I get in the garage, and I know where it is. And so I'm going to move some stuff so that I can get closer to it. And so I start to move this stuff. And as soon as I do, I see this thing run across the floor again. Because I'm like, all right, all right. (laughs) 
here we go, here we go, right? Because now I'm really nervous, and honestly, I'm a bit scared because I have no idea what this thing is going to try to do to me once it comes out. But I stand strong, right? I, I, I suppress the emotions, right? I conceal, not feel. <laughs> and I go to move the stuff again. And when I go to move the stuff, all of a sudden, this huge, massive rat comes running straight at me, like straight towards me. Now, I could lie to y'all about what happened next in the story. All right, I, I, could, I could, but I'm going to be honest. Right? I'm going to be truthful with you guys tonight. Because when that thing started sprinting towards me, I unapologetically screamed like a little girl. I mean, I was so frightened. I was absolutely terrified, right? And you can ask my wife, right? She was there the entire time losing respect for me. <laughs> and so it was this wild animal came charging towards me. In complete desperation, I grabbed the broom, right? The only thing I have. And I go and I swing it as hard as I can. And as I do, I yell and I promise, get out of here. And somehow I managed to hit this thing. Right, knocking off its course to end my life. Where it manages to, to run outside the garage, go up the driveway, into the street, and down into a sewer drain, which I can only expect it continue its life of training Raphael, Michelangelo, and the rest of the Ninja I definitely did not expect that, but that was good. That, was, that, was, that makes me feel really good. I was debating about saying that. I was, I'm glad I went with that. Um, right, and so you, you can imagine, when I walk back in that house, my head is pretty high, right? I'm pretty proud of myself that the only thing I lost that day in my garage was my dignity. And so what happened to me this past fall in my garage was a, the emotion that I felt that day was something that we have all felt in our lives before. And that was fear, right? I experienced fear, and all of us in this room have gone through moments where we experienced fear. We were scared. We were afraid of something that was happening in our lives, and especially in our too late moments. Right, these moments that we talked about last week, where we find ourselves in this terrible situation because something has happened and now we're just kind of stuck dealing with the outcome. And so often in those moments, we are just consumed with fear. Right, we're consumed with fear when we go home one weekend and our mom sits us down in our living room and she tells us that she went to the doctor yesterday and she was diagnosed with cancer. But we have fear when we get that email from financial aid that says, because of your grades this past semester, you've lost your scholarship. Right? And we even have fear when one night our dad walks into our room, gently closes the door, and tells us that he can't do this anymore. That he has tried so hard, but for too long, trying to get this marriage to work. And it just won't. And so now our parents are getting a divorce. Right? All of us have been in those kind of situations before. All of us have had those kind of moments where something bad happens 
And now we fear how that's going to play out in our life. And see, how we feel in those moments is exactly how the disciples of Jesus feel in our story. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to find out how they got in their too late moment. And then we're going to see what they do and what we can learn from that. So we're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. And it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, being Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. All right, so to kind of set the scene, Jesus has just got done spending all day teaching this huge crowd of people. And so because of that, the dude's worn out. So he tells his disciples to get in a boat and to go across the Sea of Galilee, something that as fishermen they would have done hundreds and hundreds of times. And so as they're making their way across, though, they encounter something that was completely unexpected. And we see that in verse 37. It says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Or it says they're sailing across the sea. All of a sudden, they, just kept, they get hit by this, this storm. And this storm isn't just some kind of ordinary storm. No, this thing was big, and it was dangerous. And we know that because the Greek word that Mark uses to describe this storm is actually the same Greek word for a hurricane. So that's how intense this storm is. That's how intense this situation is. In fact, this is so intense that we see that this boat can't handle it. Right? The waves are so overwhelming because of this storm that they're crashing into the boat, they're filling it up, and this boat is beginning to sink. And as the disciples sit here, and this boat gets filled more and more with water, these guys become more and more filled with fear. Because they're doing everything they can to try to get this water out. They're doing everything they can to try to stop this situation, but they can't. And so as every second passes, these guys start to face this horrifying reality that they might not make it out of this thing alive. And so as they're in this situation, they do what all good Christians do, and they turn to Jesus, right, to their fearless leader. Right, they turn to this person who, if you remember, told them to go sailing on the sea. They turn to the person who they know has the ability to get them out of this mess. But when they do, he's not there. Instead, he's a little bit preoccupied. But he was on the stern, asleep on the cushion. I mean, this is, this is hilarious, right? In the midst of this situation, Jesus is snuggled up on a cushion, taking a nap. But I'm guessing the disciples probably didn't see the humor in this story. Right? Instead, these guys are, are, are feeling pretty salty about what Jesus is doing. And we get that, right? I mean, if we were in their situation, if we were where these guys were, we would too. I mean, just, just think about how you would feel if you were on this boat, right? Your heart is pounding as you're trying to fight for your life because there's this hurricane-like storm that's trying to take it from you. 
And in the midst of this scary situation, you go to turn to Jesus to help you, and the guy is catching Z's in the back of the boat, right? I mean, just think how you would feel in that situation. I mean, I'd be pretty salty too. Right, pretty upset, pretty mad that even though I've seen Jesus do so many miracles before, I've seen him help so many different people, in this moment, he is choosing not to help me. And I'd probably say to him what the disciples do at the second part of this verse. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, notice that the disciples are so upset with Jesus. They're so mad at him in this moment. They don't even care to ask him for help. Instead, they just lay into him. And when they do, they make a very bold accusation. Because they straight up accuse Jesus of not caring about them. Right? They see him sleeping as a sign that he's not concerned. That he's indifferent to the fact that they're about to die. And even though they desperately want Jesus to do something in this situation, he is sitting there doing nothing. And so as the disciples are standing on this boat, scared and soaked, they are calling Jesus out because they don't think that he cares about them. You see, when we find ourselves in these too late moments where we're full of fear because something is going on around us, so often we feel exactly the way the disciples feel in this boat. In this boat. Because like them in that moment, right, when something around us is terrifying, when something around us is worrying us, in that moment we turn to Jesus. Right? In that moment we ask him to do something in our situation. We ask him to show up and to do a miracle, to do something amazing. And so often, even though we expect him to, even though we want him to, he doesn't. In the moment that we need him the most, he's not around. It's like he's off sleeping somewhere. Indifferent to this fear that consumes us, apathetic to the very thing that keeps us from going to sleep at night. And when that happens, like the disciples, we get angry. Or we get mad. And we also accuse him of not caring about us. Right? We think, God, do you not care that my mom might die of this cancer? God, do you not care that I have no other way to pay for my school next year? And God, do you not care that my family is being ripped apart? And we totally get how the disciples feel in this story. Because like them, we see God's absence as a sign of his indifference. And we think if God isn't helping us in our moment, it's because he doesn't really care about what we're going through. And so as the disciples are standing on this boat, this is where they are. This is how they feel. And as they sit there waiting for Jesus to answer their question, he doesn't. Instead, he does this. 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I mean, this is an incredible turn of events, right? I mean, absolutely incredible. Because Jesus goes from sleeping to speaking. And when he goes to speak, when he goes to talk, automatically this massive, huge, chaotic storm just stops. Think about that. Think about the waves and the wind and how chaotic and and just crazy this storm would have been. And in one moment, Jesus speaks and it stops. And see, in this moment, Jesus doesn't just say something to get them out of the storm. Now, that's probably what the disciples expected him to do, right? right? They just wanted Jesus to put a little engine on the end of that boat to kind of motor them out of there. But he doesn't do a miracle to get them out of the storm. Instead, he does a miracle to stop it. And based upon how this passage ends in verse 41, there's no way the disciples saw this coming. Because once he does this, once he does this miracle in this too late moment, they start to realize, man, this guy is somebody pretty cool, right? This guy's got to be somebody who's a little bit of a bigger deal than we think he is. But in this verse, right, Jesus does something so powerful to show the disciples what they thought about him was completely wrong. Right, by stopping this storm, Jesus shows them how much he deeply cares about them. Because, see, the disciples made a mistake in this story, didn't they? Something that we also do when we find ourselves thinking that God doesn't care about us. We mistake peace for indifference. Or think about that. We mistake peace for indifference. See, the disciples thought that Jesus was indifferent about their situation. That's why he was sleeping. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus wasn't sleeping because he was indifferent. He was sleeping because he had peace. He knew everything was going to be okay. Even though this storm was chaotic, he knew that he was still in control of what was happening. And so because of that, he could peacefully sleep, even in the midst of everything that was happening. But because the disciples mistook peace for indifference, they were afraid. They feared and when we confuse those two things, we, we do the same thing. Right? We fear what's going to happen to our parents. We fear what's going to happen if we have to drop out of school. Right? We fear what's going to happen to our mom if this thing gets worse. But we understand that God isn't indifferent to our situation, but instead he has peace about it. And that completely changes everything. And as Jesus finally speaks to the disciples for the very first time in this passage, he says something to them and to us that can keep us from making the same mistake again. Because we see in verse 40, it says, and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In this moment when Jesus speaks to the disciples, notice that he doesn't call them out because they accused him of not caring. Right? He doesn't shame them. 
because of how they acted. Instead, you just ask them some questions where, he's, where he essentially just wants to know, after all this time, after everything that we have been through together, why do you still not trust me? Why do you still not trust that I care deeply about you? That I'm always doing what's best for you even when you can't see it. And if I'm not stressed about your situation, you shouldn't be either. And in our moments when we mistake peace for indifference, Jesus doesn't call us out and he doesn't shame us. Instead, he asks us the same question. After all this time, after everything that you and I have been through, why do you still not trust me? And see, the reason we don't trust him is because we don't really believe that Jesus has us where we are for a good reason. We don't. We don't really believe that we are where we are for a purpose. And so the reason we think that we're in this difficult situation is because God isn't concerned about us or because he's forgotten us or because we did something in our past that's made him angry and now he's trying to get us back. We don't believe that God has us where we are in this too late moment, in this difficult time, in this bad situation for a reason. But the problem with that is that the cross screams something completely different. Because the cross says that Jesus wanted to die for you because that's how much he wanted to be with you and that's how much he cares about you. And the reason you find yourself in this difficult situation, the reason you find yourself where you are isn't because of how much Jesus dislikes you. It's because of how much Jesus loves you. And how much he wants to grow you to grow to look more like him. And see, he is even using this situation to bring about what's best for you. And that's to shape your heart to look like his. Jesus is still in control of where you are, and Jesus still deeply cares about you. And if he's not stressed and he's not worried about what's happening in your life, you shouldn't be either. Because what's crazy about this miracle in this story is that it's actually completely unnecessary. I mean, think about it. The reason that Jesus was sleeping and not worrying is because he knew that everything was going to be okay. He knew that they were going to make it to the other side regardless of what was happening in the mist. But because the disciples freaked out, right, because they decided to wake him up, then he steps up and he does something. But if the disciples 
would have chosen in this moment to trust Jesus, if they would have chosen in this moment to remember how much he deeply cares about them, even in the midst of this hurricane-like storm that had the potential to kill them, they still could have had peace. And if we choose to trust Jesus in the midst of whatever storm is happening in our lives, instead of being afraid, we can have that peace too. Because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, for those who belong to him, we can trust whatever he is doing in our lives right now. Even if it seems like he doesn't care, even if it seems like he's not around, even if he seems indifferent to your situation, you can still trust him and you can still have peace. Because no matter how big or chaotic or scary or dangerous or upsetting your situation is, Jesus is still in control and he still cares about you. And so what that means for you tonight is that you don't have to be afraid. What that means for you tonight is that you can sleep the way that Jesus does in this boat because you have nothing to fear. And what that means for you tonight is you can trust him. You can have peace about your situation because God does. And that's the hope that we take away from this story. I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what's happening in your life. But I know that your fear is real and I know that it can consume you. And I know that whatever is going on, whatever is happening, whatever you feel tonight, I also know that you can have peace because there's a purpose behind what God is doing. There's a reason that God is doing this. And if he's not stressed out and he's not worried, you shouldn't be either. You can have peace about your situation because God does. And so tonight, here's my challenge to you. Based upon everything that we've talked about tonight, my challenge for you is to trust. Is to trust God with your situation. Whatever that might be. And see, because God can always be trusted, peace is always possible. Whatever you might be facing, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to do anything except rest, except find peace because God is in control and because God loves you. And those are the two characteristics of God that will cause you to, that will allow you to find peace in your life, right? The fact that God's in control is great, but if he's not caring, that's not fun. And if God is caring and he's not in control, that's a problem too because he might feel bad for you, but he can't do anything to change it. But the good news about our God is not only is he caring, not only does he love you, not only did he go to a cross so that you could be here tonight forgiven and accepted and loved, but he's in control of everything that is happening in your life. 
He fully loves you and fully cares about you and is in full control of what's going on in your life. And because of that, you can have peace. And see, that's how we live in these moments when we wait for a miracle. In these moments where we beg God to give our mom a cancer-free diagnosis. We beg God to bring our parents back together. And when we plead with him to come through in a situation where we messed up, even in the midst of those moments, God is in control. And we can find peace. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do things a little bit differently than normal. What we're going to do is we're going to allow you right here as you sit to make the decision to trust God. To talk to him about whatever is going on in your life that scares you, that worries you. And then to spend some time in his presence because the presence of God is where peace is. I really believe it is impossible to be in God's presence and not have peace. Because it's in that moment that we realize who he is and who we are and we realize that he is better than life itself. Because I wanna give you guys some moments or some time to talk to God and to pray to God. And then after that, we're gonna sing a song together. But here's my encouragement to you. You don't stand up and sing until you're ready to. And you spend time talking to God. The music's going to start, and then you can stand up when you're ready. But spend some time choosing to give God your situation so that you can receive peace. So if you guys want to bow your heads, I'll start us off. You guys spend some time praying, and then I'll close us out. Father God, as we come before you in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the panic in our lives, my prayer, God, is that you would hear us as we make the decision tonight to trust you and that you would overwhelm us with your presence. So, Father, hear the prayer of your people right now. Father God, trusting you is a choice. 
the choice, God, that we want to make tonight. So that my prayer, God, is that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the moments, God, that we feel like you don't care about us, in the moments where we feel like you've forgotten about us, Lord, in the moments where it feel like you're further than the moon. God, in those moments when we realize that you are God who cares, that you are God who is in control. And may we remember what the cross screams. And in every single one of those moments, God, may we be willing to understand that it is well because of who you are. So fathers, we go to sing about trusting you as we go to continue this pursuit of you, Lord. May you hear our prayers. May you hear our songs. And may we realize that you are always doing things in our life for your good, for our good, and for your glory. So hear us now, God. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.